It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The WNBA season starts today as you count down the hours until your favorite team plays. What were the preseason awards picks from the next? Seattle Storm and college basketball writer at the next, M. Adler, joins host Natalie Heverin to chat everything from title and lottery favorites to trends and the most impactful free agency edition. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first lesson every day. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today, we'll be chatting about what went into the preseason awards, the results, any surprises, some of the more fun questions, as well as Emma's final thoughts before the WNBA season tips off later tonight. Joining me today is Emma Adler, who covers the Seattle Storm and college basketball for the next. Before we dive into the results, can you first break down the process and what went into the creation of, uh, once again, your preseason awards survey? Yeah, so... A couple, uh, a couple uh, cycles ago, this would have been probably before the Final Four last year, I realized there was a lot of discourse going around and there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of outlets actually providing um, a lot of feedback from their writers, especially, or not feedback, there, was, there weren't a lot of outlets providing really analysis beforehand from their writers. You know, The, the Athletic did something similar to this with, like, with some staff surveys. The ESPN has... Um, their panel of like three full-time women's basketball writers do pick sometimes, but no one really got into the nitty gritty. And I realized that we have beat writers on every conference. We have beat writers on every team. Some teams have multiple beat writers for us. I, and we have analysts who don't go on teams specifically. And I realized, you know, why don't we do a little more to help set the conversation and help really help set expectations across the league? And I started that with 
uh, the Final Four a couple of years ago. South, the South Carolina one that ended up in South Carolina over UConn continued that into free agency and have just kept it going since. We first did uh, season awards last year before the uh, 2022 season. You know, we got some things right. We got some things wrong, but uh, just continued that throughout. And it allows, you know, for us to check in with each other and to gauge what we're seeing in the league against each other. So in that sense, it's very much an internal use thing anyway, but it also allows us to put out in the world and uh, really keep talking about the basketball with the people who uh, read and watch our stuff. Yeah, I definitely enjoy it because I feel like it gets me in the right mindset and to gather all my thoughts before uh, the season kicks off. For sure. It also helps, I think, for a lot of people, myself included, it helps think about when we do it during and after the season. It's, all right, like, wh like what am I actually seeing? What has been going on this season? How do I feel about it? Because, you know, it can, it can pass us by so quickly. Yes, for sure. Uh, so heading into the 2023 season, you know, who did we at the next say were the title favorites and did everyone agree? So mostly, you know, the, <laughs> we have two super teams coming into the, coming into the season as everyone is definitely aware by now between Vegas and New York. Um, I'm pretty sure literally everyone, I shouldn't say I'm pretty sure Literally everyone at the next included at least one of those two as one of their title favorites. Almost everyone included both of those two as their top two teams in the in the league. And and I'll say I usually have people do two teams for us because I think three teams would be a little excessive. Two teams is usually a good balance between when we had last year, there were two or three teams in the preseason that were a cut above the rest. Uh, and this year as well. It's I, I think it's really helpful to be able to um, sort of visually represent for people that you know one team might be the title favorite, as we have with Vegas here. Uh, you know, I, actually, a pretty comfortable majority of us picked Vegas as our title favorite above New York. But it also helps represent like you know these two teams are a cut above the rest, and there's some contenders along the way. There, at least there were last year, but there's you know a tier above that. Some people liked um, a couple other teams as well. Um, but frankly, no one other than Vegas or New York, for good reason, got more than one vote for either finishing first or second. And, you know, then then you have to look at, at the other side of it. Who was predicted to finish at the bottom? Uh, again, were you surprised at the results? Mm, not especially. So last year we had Indiana overwhelmingly picked as the favorite to finish last. And Indiana was one of the worst teams in recent league history so we were pretty accurate there a lot of people picked indiana as well uh, a little under half of respondents uh here picked indiana for reference we had a uh, we had 17 people fill out and respond to the survey so yeah it again indiana is probably going to be bad as as i wrote in the article you know i it's a lot of work to code this into being all the graphs that go into it so and also you know for most readers i think when you're going through these articles, the the words are a lot less interesting than the graphs and what's in them. So I try to keep the blurbs pretty short. But, you know, Indiana is a team that's really talented. They are hopefully going to be fun to watch, but it's going to be the bad. It's going to be the the fun kind of bad. They, you know, you're still young, you're still undisciplined, you still have a lot of issues with shooting and spacing on that team. But what I was expecting and what we kind of got along the way 
was there are other teams that we're pretty sure are also going to be bad. We're just not sure how many of them are definitely going to be that level of bad. You know, Seattle and Minnesota are clearly, no matter what they say, although Shell Reef has changed her tune, um, they're kind of doing a little tank here. You know, they're, they they want to improve, but they are they, they are more concerned with future talent than current talent on these teams. Some votes also went to Atlanta. Some votes went to Los Angeles, Chicago. You know, I think all of us can see those teams doing pretty poorly as it is. Um, you know, Atlanta's really boom or bust. They don't have a lot of space in. So we've seen what happens with like Kurt Miller teams or Los Angeles when you are relying on not having spacing on the next night basis. And, you know, I think uh, the best offense and worst offense look a lot similar to the graphs that you see um, in the title favorites and the lottery favorites, a lot of the same colors, um, you know, were there a lot, was there a lot of agreement? Um, you know, I, there was definitely a lot of discourse uh, on, in terms of who we were expecting to be the worst offense in the league this year. Yeah, I think, I, I, I don't think anyone was able to agree on the worst offense in the league. And I think, you know, again, we, we know that in this era of the WNBA, you need an elite offense to win. You know, it has been, I actually don't know how many years it's been. It might be, this year might make it a full decade since the last even real title team, yeah, real title team that did not have a truly elite offense. So when you look at the comparison, like you're saying, between the best offense and the and the, and the best teams in the title, yeah, I mean, it's going to be the same teams, especially given that they're both super teams. They're both going to be really good in that aspect. Uh, but especially, you know, both of these teams have significant question marks defensively at their guard spots. Um, so that's going to differentiate them when we come to uh, looking at the best defenses in the league. But you know, again, the best talent altogether is, is giving the best offense to the league because that's just how basketball works these days. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's good for the game. It's certainly been good for the men's side of things and viewership keeps going up in the W. So I, I, I can't imagine any real argument against that. It is funny that the fact that we can't agree on the worst offense. And I, and I think that's right. Honestly, like you look at Atlanta and they're, they're again, their starters are talented, but they have very little spacing and you could probably argue some of their players are playing out of position. Um, Again, very talented but there. Chicago, you're, Chicago, you're starting two centers. You're starting zero point guards. Arguably, at least one of your five best players is coming off the bench. And, yeah, Indiana, we, I mean, we saw Indiana last year. Indiana is very talented offensively. Do they have discipline? Can they finish? Are they going to take way too many mid-range shots? I think those are the last ones, yes. Los Angeles, LA's disappointing, man. Look, remember, I don't know if you remember, we went into the, we came out of February thinking like, oh, Kurt Miller is going to be starting Jasmine Thomas and Lexi Brown and Stephanie Talbot. The sixth woman is going to be Caitlin Samuelson. They'll be starting Mecca and Azari Stevens. And now they're, start, ugh, now they're starting Jordan Canada, Lexi Brown, Leisha Clarendon, and both of the Aguma Kays. It's just a Kurt Miller offense, man. And Minnesota Seattle are just going to take a bunch of mid-range shots and, you know, again, we're tanking here. And then, you know, we talk about a lot of teams uh, in the worst offense, but one of the the most spread out graphs we have is the worst defense. <laughs> More than half the teams. So if you haven't read the story, go, go read the story now. You have to look at this graph. Worst defense, seven different teams got a vote for worst uh, defense. Uh, 
uh, in the league this season. So what do you think about that? And are there a couple that you think have a better chance than others? Yeah, I was honestly a little surprised that this many teams got vote for got votes for worst defenses. Like, look, like I said, I think Chicago has a real good chance to be horrendous offensively, but you have some at least decent defenders in the starting lineup. Like at least at least like four of the starting lineup is like a pretty good defenders. Um, Connecticut as well, Los Angeles. We're talking about teams that you know they're gonna be ugly to watch probably. But at least they have good personnel. I was I was very shocked that Connecticut and the Los Angeles Heat catch votes for worst defense. Um, but I think it, in terms of the defense and the offense, I think it all goes to the fact that look, we have the two super teams this year. We have a couple of clearly bad tanking teams, and in between, we just have a lot of unknowns. You know, some teams we know are going to be better than others. We know Connecticut's going to be better than Indiana. We know that. Um, we know that Atlanta and Los Angeles are going to play very different styles, but we don't. There's a lot of question marks in how these things are going to work out. Uh, what we do know is that Washington might have the best defense of all time. It's 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 really straightforward there. I know why Vegas and Atlanta got votes, but look, Washington could have the best starting, best defensive lineup of all time. Excited to see if that happens. So coming up next, uh, we'll get into more of the individual awards results of the preseason awards. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs are a pair of pants that you can look better and feel great wearing. They're stretchy, uh, your legs look great, they're comfier than other shorts and pants, and who doesn't want to be comfortable, uh, especially as the temperatures get warmer? They give you the freedom to wear one pair of shorts and pants on the golf course, to a meeting, on a date, or hanging out with friends. You know, Bert Kreischer wakes up at his lake house wearing Bird Dogs. He goes for a swim, smokes a cigar, grills burgers, and chills with his family. Uh, in the shorts, he associates with summer, bird dogs. So go to birddogs.com slash NBA, and when you enter promo code LOCKDOWNNBA, they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. Again, that's birddogs.com slash NBA, and the promo code is NBA. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. So, Em, as always, you know, you put together quite an ex extensive survey. So why don't we run through some of the highlights, which to me starts with some of the individual awards. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, what were our thoughts surrounding MVP and were they what you were expecting? I mean, the, the names on there were definitely what I was expecting is, is, is how I'll phrase it. You know, if we're having Stewie. Asia, EDD, AT, and, and NECA is the five people who, who earn votes here, for sure. If at the end of the season, I can't remember quite off the top of my head, but uh, but at the end of last season, I'm pretty sure four of those players were first team all, three or four of those players were first team all W, and the, and the other two or three were second team. So, I mean, we're talking about probably the five best players in the league. Um, 
and certainly with John Quell moving from Connecticut to New York, Alyssa Thomas is certainly has the opportunity that that she, that she didn't necessarily have in the past to put up production like a top five player in the league. I was a little surprised that uh, Brianna Stewart basically got basically got plurality of our of our MVP votes. Maybe it's a little bit of voter, voter fatigue. Maybe people think that uh, Candace Parker going to the A's is going to sap a lot of uh, her offensive production. I think, if anything, that might help her look a little bit better on defense just because Candace Parker remains one of the best help defenders in the league, and that's something that the Aces have been pretty bad at uh, during Asia's time there. But I but I mean, otherwise, just looking at, you know, Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson, Elena Deladon, these are the three best players in the league. They've been the three best players in the league since my more retired. I, it, it's it, it's good that we're able to appreciate that, I think, these days, because this is just a truly special era of start talent. And you touched on Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, you know, Alyssa Thomas gets the majority of votes, but a lot of other, a lot of other votes come in. Um, you know, four different player received four different players received multiple votes. Three received one. Are you expecting a lot of defense in the WNBA this year, or are these players stepping up um, in a more offensive league? Uh, what makes you think that they'll stand out this season? I definitely think it's more of the latter, and this is what we've seen in sort of basketball leagues, both you know the men's and women's in the, in, the, in the United States and kind of across the world as offense has continued to um, really break out over the past couple of decades. The more that a single player can be both impactful in individual and team defense, the more they're going to stand out across this landscape, and really the more valuable they're going to be. But I think the reason we see so many players getting votes here is because you know, because Sill has retired, because Sylvia Fowles is no longer in the league, we, we no longer have one person who we can look at and say, oh yeah, they're going to be the best defensive player in the league unless something else happens. But you had this in the you had this in the men's NBA for I want to say it was three or four straight years, basically, with Rudy Gobert, the Utah Jazz Center, where you know just based on positional value and based on how the game works, the best defender, uh, the most impactful defender, the most valuable defender, is always going to be a rim protector who can operate in space. Not necessarily doesn't have doesn't have even have to be good in space, but just the best rim protector who can also operate in space. And, you know, that's what Syl was. Syl was a rim protector who was still a rim protector after 15 feet at the free throw line. And with her gone, you know, there is not one person in the league who stands out as just an elite best defender in the league who is also in the role that you know is one that lends itself there. And I think Alyssa Thomas's versatility really, really makes her shine. I think the... I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure the last time Rudy Gobert won Defensive Player of the Year, I think it was Ben Simmons who came in second. And Alyssa Thomas is very much in that mold where it's not the say it's not that archetype of the rim protector, but it's someone who provides rim protection down low. They can play at the point of attack, and it just stands out when you're watching the game how good they are. Asia Wilson won last year. Brandon Stewart, I think, momentum's building for her just because she really is one of the easily the best defenders in the league since she got here. And I think it's, and I think that went underappreciated for a little while. And, you know, running through uh, some of the other individual awards, um, we were nowhere close to being consensus on who would win <laughs> most improved player or sixth player of the year. Um, to find out more about that, you'll definitely have to read M's story. But I want to get into, um, you know, executive of the year and what we kind of thought about that. Uh, it was almost 
unanimous um, with Jonathan Cole uh, receiving 12 votes, uh, Dan Padover from Atlanta receiving two votes, and then Karen Bryant in Los Angeles and Lynn Dunn in Indiana uh, also receiving votes. Uh, you know, very rarely do we agree on things. So why do you think that we agreed on uh, Jonathan Cole winning uh, executive of the year is our prediction? I mean, like I said, I wrote this in the, um, in the blurb under there, but you, you can look at the graph of the question that immediately follows it, which is who's the most impactful free agent and of the most impactful free agent additions. Um, there were three players who received multiple votes. They are all Liberty. <laughs> The well, one of them wasn't even actually a free agent addition. She was she came over in a trade, but enough that you know when two people vote for her, it's uh, it's too much work for me logistically to make them change it. So and it was already late enough. I let it stay. But look, I mean the the Liberty are a super team who weren't a super team last year. Uh, just like the Aces last year were turned out to be one of the best teams in league history, who were not necessarily that the year before. But with the Aces, it was internal development, and we really point that the coaching staff, and that's why Becky Hammond wins Coach of the Year. For the Liberty, you know, there's going to be internal improvement. We saw how much Han and Sweeney Nescu developed last year. But you're adding, you're adding probably the best point guard in league history. She's probably out, just out of her peak, but probably the best point guard in league history. You're adding probably the fourth or fifth best player in the league in John Paul Jones. You're adding someone on pace to be the greatest player of all time in Brianna Stewart. I, I, I don't think anyone has ever had an offseason like this in any, in any basketball league in the United States in terms of adding this much talent. And I just think that that was an easy slam dunk. I mean, it was funny. Last year we had, we had a pretty similar number of respondents last year. Um, and there were six people who earned votes for executive of the year, and none of them earned more than four. This year, two, and one of them earned 12. And, you know, we've talked about some teams quite a bit. Uh, you know, Las Vegas, New York, Washington, uh, Connecticut. Those are all highlights uh, in the matchups we're most looking forward to. Uh, the Kurt uh, Miller uh, rematch between Los Angeles and Connecticut, obviously up there. New York, Washington, uh, we're lucky enough to get on the opening night. Uh, of the WNBA, so uh, very excited uh, to be in DC this week for that. Um, so I'll be there in just a couple of hours. Um, but coming up next, we'll finish up our preseason award conversation and hear more of M's thoughts uh, and get you all ready for the season that tips off in just a couple of hours. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, you know, what are you, what matchup are you most looking forward to? It could either be the season overall or this opening weekend. Sure. I mean, you can see the voting in, in the graph and the respondents. This thing's are, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Vegas, New York. There's, there's no other reason this, this, 
I think for my money is probably the most talented matchup in league history. You know, uh, Sparks links from the mid to late uh, 2010s gives it a hell of a run for its money. But, you know, even at that peak, I think for the Sparks, you're looking at a number of players in that matchup who were necessarily on the out, outside their peak for the links, Simone Augustus and, um, and Rebecca Brunson were sort of, were, they were, they were getting to their mid thirties in that, at that stage with Vegas and, and New York, you know, Candace Parker and Courtney Vanders are the only players that are necessarily, you know, outside of their primes in that game. We are looking at some of the most talented players in the league and also like the most effectively deep rosters. You know, Vegas doesn't go much past seven or eight players, but those seven or eight, all of them are, are very solid, great contributors. This is going to be a true, just so much fun. And seeing what Sandy comes up with, seeing how Becky adjusts to the game is going to be so much fun across the season. I'm so glad we get multiple matchups to this one. Again, Washington playing anyone is going to be, it's going to be interesting. If they can get some spacing in at the three spot in that lineup, I think it's going to be more fun than interesting at that point, which I'm looking forward to. And look, I... I enjoy certain brands of basketball that I think some people might not. I was the only person who voted for Seattle, Indiana as one of the three matchups we're most looking forward to. Cause look, I like to see talent, even if it's uh, a little uh, undisciplined, a little janky. And there's just a lot of it going around these days with, with some of the younger teams. And, you know, I think that that leads into uh, what on court trend is going to define the WNBA season this year. Uh, the overwhelming vote was switching, but I want to know what you think the uh, on-court, the defining on-court trend is going to be. Yeah, I mean, this is this is always the hardest question to me because, you know, th- th- this is the one I think asks the most of that of of us in terms of thinking about the 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 on-court play of the basketball that we look at, and I'm not, I'm frankly not sure it's not as easy to look at the league and say what's going to happen. You know, last year it was pretty easily uh, another boom in three-point shooting and especially in pace and guard actions. I think in this year, you're probably going to see a little bit more copycatting of what um, Becky Hammond brought over last year. Uh, For a little bit of reference, Becky Hammond's system in Vegas, uh, which hopefully I'll be able to write about at some point this season is a lot of principles that just haven't been in the WNBA yet, but started proliferating through the men's league. Uh, in the, it started with Mike D'Antoni in the seven seconds, seven seconds or less Suns in the early aughts, and it really proliferated it throughout the league, going going uh, into the later aughts. I think the league is, is going to adapt to that more and sort of bring them on. You know, it's a copycat league. Atlanta is going to play a bunch of guards. Uh, New York is going to play a bunch of talented guards at the same time, and you're really going to need that. I think there's a chance that we see a lot more switching and a lot more zone defense as well, I think is the, is the other one I point out on the other, on, on the other side of the court. We have some, I will call them interesting lineups around the league. You know, we again have Kurt Miller, Kurt Miller playing his jumbo lineups. And like I mentioned before, between both the aces and the Liberty, you have teams that have standout backward or standout front court defense, uh, but some uh, troubling backward defense. And it would not surprise me at all to see, you know, a switch from the league's preferred hedging to some more switching or some more zone defense to try and counter uh, what would otherwise be some pretty easy penetration or pull-up shots. And, you know, before we get into some of uh, the more fun questions, 
I just want to highlight, uh, once again, a rainbow graph uh, we have is, is how this year's rookie class is going to mm -hmm. compare to last year's. Um, as you wrote, we're cautiously optimistic, um, but there is a non-insignificant portion of the pie that uh, falls under the somewhat worse or much worse uh, than last year category. Uh, do you think that there's going to be one or two rookies that uh, kind of makes this class lean better than last year, or do you think it's going to be a collective effort? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a top-down effort, and, and that's what it was going into the draft. I think having... I think even though I, I'm pretty sure she finished second in rookie of the year voting, I, but I think you know, Ryan Howard was so good out of the gate that made a little downslip on the back end of the season, uh, went a little under the radar. And even though Shakira Austin finished second in rookie of the year voting, you know, I think even, even so her season still went underrated. There are not, I, I mean, I, I have been saying this as much as I can, and I will continue to say it as much as I can because I don't think, I can say it too much. There are not players who come into this league and look like Shakira Austin does from day one and continue improving throughout the season. It is ridiculous how good she was, both offensively and defensively last year. This is, there are, players who come in and look like she does in her rookie season go to the Hall of Fame. That's it. So I think when we're, I think when we're looking at the rookie class, last year had an, an amount of depth that this year's doesn't. And I think that's that's kind of easy to lose given the fact that, you know, we have Leah Bosman and Diamond Miller, the top two picks, both starting for their teams and getting a heck of a lot of run in the preseason. I think if you're not as engaged on the draft side, and like my main thing throughout the college season is the is the draft and the scouting side of things. And so, you know, I'm just head down in that for, for a lot of it. And I think that's where the difference is gonna be. But but that it was a rainbow of uh, of picks, a rainbow that mostly fell within about the same, somewhat better, somewhat worse. I think makes sense. You know, the top end talent might be better this year, but the depth might not be there. I think it's going to be interesting for sure. And then to what I assume is your favorite uh, part of the survey, uh, some of the more colorful, fun questions. Um, <laughs> There, there were more uh, results to which coach would be the worst at challenges than I thought. James Wade had five votes. Vanessa Nygaard had four <laughs> votes. Kurt Miller had three votes. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of other coaches got one or two votes each. What Were you surprised by this? Uh, or do you think uh, or do you think everyone might be bad at, at uh, coaches' challenges? I'm sure someone or like a handful of coaches are going to emerge as being pretty good at challenges. They're all, a, a number of them are probably not going to be very good. It, it doesn't surprise me the names that were picked. I think you can look at the comparisons uh, of them personality wise or sort of how they operate professionally. And you can sort of see some trends emerging that I, uh, I won't name for professionalism reasons, um, but I will say it does not necessarily surprise me the names that came up. And then I, I did let out a chuckle when I, I read this, filling it out. Um, any coach or GM being fired? Uh, two head coaches were fired during the middle of last season. Uh, you know, most of us think that everyone will have a job uh, come, come September or October uh, when this season finishes. But there are also a handful of people uh, that, that think there are some 
jobs that will be uh, needing to be filled or filled by an interim um, by the end of the season. What do you think? Uh, are you expecting that little bit of extra excitement midway through the season? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly possible. I think the fact that you have the two super teams again this uh, again you have the two super teams this year makes it so that a lot of the teams across the league, even though they are clearly contending, I think they have a lot more let's say realistic expectations than they had going into last year. When we look at the coaches who've been fired over the past couple seasons, you know, you had the mess in Atlanta two years ago, uh, which clearly led to the ouster for its own reason. And also, I shouldn't say the ouster, but the midseason switch for its own reasons. And also they had a measure of expectation coming into that season. Last year with LA, they had their own expectations as well. They wanted to be big contenders and they weren't. So I think, I think in that context, the names that are the names that came up here make sense. You know, we know that Phoenix has some real bus potential as far as a team. They could I could easily see them as tenth in the league or as like fourth in the league. Vanessa Nygaard, it would surprise me a little given who wants her to be there if if she was fired in the middle of the season. But you know, if this team is this team is several games under five hundred in the middle of the season, you know, with Diana Trossi, how old she is, if if Brittany Griner is back and playing well, but they're still that low, you know, that would make sense to me. Um, the other name that came up, funny enough, was Sandy Brandello on one of those two um, super teams. I, I think if you're trying to think about that one, it's almost certain that certain that she doesn't get fired. Obviously, Sandy Brandello is a very is a very good coach, um, but the Aces have the best coach in the league. Uh, certainly, at least at least from a tactical on the court perspective, given you know recent investi- recent uh, league news and investigations, there are off the court questions. But certainly from an on-the-court perspective, the Aces have the best coach in the league. And I think if you're the Liberty and you're midway through the season and you've already lost your head-to-head against the Aces, then you might be raising some questions about what a finals matchup could look like. That's my attempt to justify that, but it's more likely than not that, you know, like you said, inertia. We, We have everyone who's coaching in this season. Uh, you know, pretty clear, uh, in, who's going to lead the WNBA in technical vowels in our predictions. Uh, Diana Taurasi led with nine votes. Um, a couple of other names uh, include Marina Rayberry, James Wade, uh, Natasha Cloud. James Wade is the only non-player uh, who mm-hmm. received votes. Uh, you chose not to comment, so I won't ask. But uh, then we move on to how many cities will Kathy Engelbert narrow down expansion to by October? Again, did let out a chuckle while filling this out. We had responses from four to seven hundred and ninety-two. Um, overall, I would say uh, we. I like the next. person who picked seven and a half. <laughs> yes, uh, honestly, uh, I think the the only real uh, conclusion to draw is we are not drawing significantly closer to expansion. Um, and friend of the next, uh, Alex Simon, touched on that in his. Uh, article that came out yesterday um you know it calls for expansion of becoming louder and stronger but what's causing the holdup uh highly recommend you check that out um great fantastic work as always do you have any final thoughts uh on either this survey or the season coming up uh that you want to get out there uh before the season tips off I think it's going to be pretty easy to lose sight of the regular season this year with the super teams that we're looking at. And this, this is a narrative that was 
common in the men's league again during the late 2010s with uh, the Warriors dynasty and uh, LeBron and the Cavs meeting in four straight finals. I think given how much change there is in the league and given how many teams are at inflection point and how much talent there is coming in, uh, I, the one thing I would say is just let's not lose sight of how many fun games are going to be coming up this season, even if we know that they have absolutely no bearing whatsoever on what we're going to see come finals. Thank you for joining me today, Em. Where can the people find you and your work? I can always be found on Twitter at M, uh, at E-M underscore A-D-L-E-R. That's at M underscore Adler. The name M, not, not the letter. Uh, you can always find me at the next. Um, right in here, I'm going to be having a weekly notebook uh, on trends around the league. And I'm also hopefully going to be starting up, my, we're restarting up my basketball in theory uh, series as... Um, the get more teams come through New York, where I live and cover from. As well, you can always find me on the Saturday podcast as well, talking about rookies, talking about play development, and talking about scouting. Well, you uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on the show. Make sure to tune in from Hunter, M, and Lincoln, our WNBA draft experts who I always learn so much from. <laughs> hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.